A binge-worthy show about Jesus? The Chosen Season 3 is here. Come and see what the buzz is about. The Chosen explores the imperfect and messy relationships of real humans following Jesus. The first six episodes are available now. Stream each new episode for free. Plus, watch exclusive content like the After Show, only in the new Chosen app. Download the Chosen app on mobile and TV streaming devices. Visit BingeJesus.com to learn more. Hey, MEAC fans, it's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? Welcome to the Fantrax Toolshed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From dynasty to prospects to redraft, we got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clay. All right, fantasy baseball fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode 116 of the Fantrax Toolshed with Clayton Cross, powered by Fantrax and FantraxHQ.com. I'm your host, Eric Cross. We have a really fun episode in store today, and with me, as usual, is my 80 great co-host, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, how's it going, man? Oh, it's going good. Life is busy, but you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's it's been good, you know? Was out of the out of town. I was almost out of the country. I was not out of the country. I was out of town <laughs> for a couple of days on Friday and Saturday. Got back in, caught uh, Roy Versalinas start last night that lasted 31 pitches. Didn't get out of the first inning, so that was fun. And then you know, another busy day today. But hey, it's good. We're, we're talking baseball, so nothing nothing beats that. Right. Yes. It reminds me of my my Jay Groom start from the last week or week before, whenever that was, when he lasted. 20 something pitches and just looked like crap, but yeah, you always get, always get those stinkers every now and then. Not everything can be a dominant start from though. I wish I was at, I wasn't able to go Thursday night when Bayo pitched the no hit, the seven inning, no hitter. for And I was so upset. I almost went, but it was a school night. I couldn't find anybody that watched my, you know, watch my kids. I didn't want to bring them. If he was going in the first game of the doubleheader, we would have went, but he was going in the second game. They didn't start to like seven 30 or so. Yeah, so that would have just been too late for my kids. So, unfortunately, I missed that, but at least I got to see him earlier. But got back to some games this week. Didn't see anybody of note that I haven't already seen. The Phillies are in town. The, not a lot of talent in the Phillies double-A system right now. A lot in the lower levels, but not in double-A. But, yeah, it's just good to get back and talk some baseball. Saw my family today. My grandparents were up from uh, New Jersey with my aunt. So, they're 88 years old, my grandparents. So, good to, good to see them. Some nice little family day, but... No better way to end the weekend, though, than talking some baseball, that is for sure. But before we get into the show, the usual housekeeping. You can find us on Twitter. Chris is at Roto Clegg. I am at EricRoss04, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out our Patreon for extra content from both of us and our YouTube channel for plenty of live prospect video throughout the season. 
And of course, check out all the other great work we have going on over at Fantrax HQ with multiple fantasy baseball articles coming out every single day. All right, let's get right into it. We have a loaded episode today. Loaded, loaded, loaded. Let's start with our news and notes section as we usually do. And let's keep that trend going. We've been talking a different, you know, top end pitcher every week, seeing if, you know, we believe they're an ace or whatever mo- moving forward for both Redraft and Dynasty. The name of the week this week, Mr. Joe Musgrove, who I just bumped up to number six overall in my rest of season starting pitcher rankings that I put out uh, today. So Sunday on Fantrax HQ. So check that out because, you know, there's a lot of na- few names ahead of him that we'll, a few we'll get into here uh, shortly that have had weird starts or that they're struggling with, you know, the ratios or the K rates way down, something like that. So I bumped him up ahead of some names like Bieber, Alcantara, etc. So again, number six overall for me. Chris, what do you think about that? Number six overall for Musgrove. Do you agree with that? Item number 10 preseason, he's done nothing to deny that ranking. So I think it's definitely fair. Uh, you look at what he's done, and he just keeps getting it done, start after start. He's not the flashiest, but I think he's just exactly what you've said. I think he's a, definitely a top 10 arm. He's been you know, smoking it all year. And last year should have been a great indicator. I mean, he's had two really good seasons prior, and then – I really thought that this would be a year he would continue that, and he absolutely has. So everything under the hood looks really good as well. His guys' arsenal working extremely well. Slider has obviously been a dominant pitch like always, but it's even been more dominant this year. The curve is nasty as well. He makes it a four-seam and cutter and sinker or two. Just everything you want to see from him, he's he's doing. So I'm all on board the the Joe Musgrove train. I I like that ranking a lot. I like the boldness of it, but I think it's—I don't think it's far-fetched at all. Yeah, no. I, I when I moved him up there at first, I kind of was like, "Yeah, is this too much? Is this too bold?" But then, you know, again, it's the five he's behind going up from six. So I got Woody at five, Bueller four, Cole three, Scherzer two, and of course Corbin Burns is number one. So the guys he jumped this week are so he was nine last week for me, and he jumped Sandy Alcantara because his K-rate is way down, and walk rate's up too, oddly enough. Uh, Logan Webb, K-rate way down, and Bieber, who just looked absolutely atrocious on Saturday, and there's a lot of issues going on there that we'll talk about here in a second, but those are the three he moved ahead. Some other new additions to my top 10, guys that were right outside of it but jumped in due to those three dropping, were Shane McClanahan up to 7, Alec Manoa 8, he didn't look too great today, and Dylan Cease 9, and Kevin Gausman 10, who I was completely wrong for fading earlier this you know preseason rankings and, and drafts and whatnot i thought the move to the al east for gaussman was going to be not great for his value but he leads the major leagues in swinging strike rate right now he only has was a one walk on the year carries about 30 percent 2.13 era whips one in the nose so yeah i was completely wrong about fading kevin gaussman that's for sure He's been really good. I was off board too. I don't really have. I think I've got him in like a best ball league, maybe. And I just thought the move today at least was was going to hurt him, but it certainly hasn't. I mean, he's just been downright nasty every start. He's looked so good. He finally walked his first batter, which you know, took him yeah. long enough. But he had, <laughs> had zero walks all year up until his most recent start, which is crazy. Him and Max Friedler, they're going to go toe to toe with who can walk the fewest hitters. But right. <laughs> yeah, uh, when he's got that splitter working, 
it's, it's downright nasty. And he's got it working right now, 47.3% whiff rate. He's got a 52.6% whiff rate on his slider as well. The fastball has been kind of getting hit around, which is interesting considering how well he's pitched. But the secondaries are so good, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he's, an, he's increased his slider usage as well this year, which has been nice. Basically, almost doubled that usage. So, very, yeah, very in, encouraging start for Kevin Gaussman. He's back in my top 10 overall, which I didn't think was going to happen this year, but he has proved me wrong. I, I will take the L on that one. I know it's so early, but he's definitely, he's definitely giving me the big fat L so far for my preseason ranking of him. Moving over to some big name arms that are struggling, though, a bit here for one reason or another. Let's start with Shane Bieber, who, Though, you know, there were some red flags, you know, velocities down, spin rate, et cetera, et cetera. You're like, all right, he's still pitching well. You know, the numbers are still looking good. So people kind of not overlooked those issues, but they're like, all right, he'll get it going. They kind of like it kind of masked the issues a little bit that season stat line. But after his last start, you can't do that anymore because his ERA went up nearly two full runs in this last start from 245 up to 413 because he allowed seven earned runs on eight hits with three walks in three and a third innings against Toronto on Saturday, zero strikeouts. Didn't give up a home run though, but still he did not look great. And, you know, like I I mentioned earlier, the, the Velo was already down two miles an hour into this start and it went down even further. He actually averaged 89.9 on his four seamer in this last start maxed at 90.8. I think he was averaging 90.8 coming into the start. So not good, down to a 90.6 average velocity on that four-seamer. The slider spin rate is down a little over 200 RPMs. Curveball is down about 250 now, actually 266 to be exact. What was the other one? I think it was the, yeah, the cutter is down about 140 or so. Four-seamer is down about 150. So basically 150 to 250 RPMs down on all four of those. The velo is down. I don't know if there's an injury here. Like a two mile an hour drop is very concerning. Maybe there's an injury. I don't know. I hate speculating on those things, but I am very, very concerned about Bieber right now. Yeah, it's definitely concerning to see the velo down even more. I mean, yesterday, as you're listening to this two days ago on Saturday, the velo dropped pretty significantly. You're just not going to be able to get away with that sitting below 90. There's a zero chance that he's going to continue success pitching with with that kind of velo if you're sitting 92 you can get away with it he's his best game so far he's taught or his average 91.1 i just don't think he can get away with what he's doing right now and the, the velo on every pitch was down pretty significantly which is a pretty concerning sign right there so maybe he's hurt maybe he's still struggling with the shoulder stuff i don't really know but he's getting hit hard you know, everything across the board just doesn't look great, especially his velo. And I think that's a pretty significant thing. Strikeout rate is down significantly from where he was even last year. You know, 33.1% last year, 21.5%. This year, I don't know. I, I'm concerned. I don't know who he is at this point. Like, what do we see rest of season? I don't know, but I don't really want to find out. Like, I don't want him on my teams with <laughs> trying to risk, you know, what's going to happen. Is he still a top 10 dynasty arm for you? Because I think that's now in question as well. I don't know. That's, it's tough. I mean, he's definitely, he's got age on his side. He's got history on his side. And it's hard to really go against that after six starts. But there's 
so many things that are just going against him right now, which makes it you know really tough to actually stick with him. I, I don't right. know. All right, let's let's play a little. Would you rather? All right, or who you got? Whatever we want to call it. So dynasty draft, you're on the clock, Chris. You going Bieber or McClanahan? Ooh, man, that's a really tough one. I'll be McClanahan just with what we've seen this week. Bieber or Manoa? Manoa. Bieber or Cease? Cease. Well, that answers my question. He's not a top 10 dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's like Bieber or Musgrove. You go on Musgrove there? Yeah, Musgrove, definitely. Okay, yeah. So that, that those are six through nine. Well, those are my, my redraft rankings, but you know they'll be pretty high up in my dynasty rankings as well. And then obviously you get top five. I mean, there's no way we're taking them above, you know, Woody, Bueller, Cole, Scher- well, maybe Scherzer, but it's because he's old. But yeah, let's go one more. How about Biebs or eh, let's go. What's another good name here? Julio Urias, probably Urias. So it sounds like I've talked myself out of Bieber completely. Here. I know. I, I think I have too. Yeah. So I, he's still top fifteen, probably, but I think he's more on that twelve to fifteen range. Pro- he's probably going to be pretty similar to like where. Carlos Rodon, Lucas Giolito, Logan Webb, though he's moving down as well. Probably in that range. Freddie Peralta, another guy in that range. But, yeah, definitely a lot of concern here for Bieber. And then some other big-name arms that are not necessarily off to bad starts overall in terms of like their ratios, but there's four in particular that have seen their K rates drop pretty significantly this year, those being Logan Webb, Julio Arias, Sandy Alcantara, and Walker Bueller. Out of these four, Chris, is there any that stand out to you as being more worrisome than the others, or maybe you know less worrisome than the others? Because right now, for me, like I look at Alcantara, and he's gotten away from like that pitch mix change we saw last year that caused the whiff rate and the K rate to go up. He's kind of gotten away from that this year. Uh, he's using the slider less often this year than he did down the. He's using it close to thirty percent down the stretch last year. That's down to twenty three percent using the four-seamer and the sinker uh, more this year as well. So I don't know why he's getting away from what worked from end of last year, but and his walk rate's gone up as well. Like the, we can't look past that. The walk rate's gone up from 6% to 11% this year after trending down four straight years. So he's the one I'm, I'm a bit worried about. And Logan Webb, too, with you know, I, I tweeted about him the other day that his sinker has one mile an hour less velocity this year. And the slider has less horizontal and vertical movement to it, which has made the whiff rate drop. I think it was like 11 to 12% on that. So those are the two I'm kind of worried about. I'm not as worried about Urias and Bueller. I think they'll get it going, but definitely some concern here for all four. Yeah, I agree. Bueller's been interesting. He's actually pitching right now. He's recording against the Cubs. And it's so far so good. The, Let's see, the velo on his fastball is actually back up. He's averaged 95.5 in this start, which is encouraging. He's actually throwing the cutter. He's on the cutter the most of any pitch tonight. Cutter 26 times, forcing 13 times. So that is definitely encouraging for me to see. I think the cutter could be pretty big for him if he continues to throw that you know, pretty significantly more than his four seam. I, the four seam has been weird this year. I think he's really struggled with the four seamer. It's you know looking better tonight. Obviously, getting that velo back up is is a big deal. So that to me is what I want to see. So I'm less concerned about him, even though he's just I don't know. He's not getting the whiffs that he has been. 
So that's obviously a concern. That's what, while we mentioned them, obviously, and the K rate being down. Webb, I don't know. Urias, I think, will be fine. Alcantara, you mentioned being the pitch mix change. I think that definitely factors here because he's never been a big K guy, and we only saw it really tick up when he started you know, changing that mix a good bit. So Webb, looking at his profile, a lot of it's just poor sinker location, in my opinion. He's just leaving over the heart of the zone too often. He's throwing the changeup significantly more, which is good to see, but um, the results haven't quite been there. I think, I mean, it's been fine. Like he's, it's a good pitch, but he's not getting the whiffs on it that, that he had in the past. The sliders and whiff rate is way down from last year, which is something interesting to track as well. So I don't know. I'm curious as to exactly what's going on here, but I would say of any of them, maybe I'm concerned about Webb the most, even though the results have been decent so far. Yeah, I, I think I'm there with you because Webb, both Webb and Alcantara really need the K rate to be up in, you know, closer to 30% than, you know, 20%, you know, needed like 27, 28% range, which both kind of got to late in last season, but they need, they need that K rate that they showed, you know, the, near the end of 2021 to stick as opposed to this low twenties K rate, because, you know, it's still fine and all, it's not like it's terrible, but you can't be considered an ACE with that type of K rate. So, yeah, those are the two I'm kind of concerned about the most right now. I think they're, they're both better than what they've shown now. I think they can definitely right the ship, you know, get the carry back up over 25% at least, but yeah, definitely a little bit concerning right now. And yeah, did you see the tweet Alex Fast had earlier today about the um, release height for Walker Bueller? Yes, how it's like, it was changed. lower, like same arm slot, but yes. lower. Like he's getting more drive and drop, so he's a little lower. Like I said, so the arm slot's the same angle, but lower not not significantly but you know it was a, a difference to where he's been the last few years i wonder if that i'm speculating but i wonder if that plays into this a little bit i'm looking at his the movement chart on all of his pitches there's some that are like slightly different from last year but there's no like drastic change in any of the horizontal or vertical movement in any of his offerings so I, I don't necessarily think that maybe has anything to do with it but it was definitely incur- encouraging intriguing to see that so we'll see if that continues this year as well Moving over to a couple of young names here going in opposite directions this season. Josh Winder has been surging for the Minnesota Twins. He's made a couple of starts here uh, over on the year up to 22 and a third innings. He's a 161 ERA, 0.72 whip, 24.7% K rate, only a 4.9% walk rate. So looking really good, especially lately. He's been a big fab guy over the last couple of weeks. And on the other side, Hunter Green, who had a lot of excitement around him you know when he came up obviously because former number you know number two overall pick top prospect status hits triple digits very sexy buzzy name he is not look great at all he's giving up like i think he has 11 home runs allowed now in five starts 871 era 189 whip k rate still pretty solid at 28.2 percent but the fastball is just not he's not fooling anybody he's averaging 98.3 on it great but as we've seen that doesn't mean much if you're commanding it as poorly as he has, leaving it over the heart of the zone way too often, and it's getting hit hard. 448 batting average against, 983 slug, 632 Woba, 96.3 average exit velo. Overall, he's going up 17.7% barrel rate, which is almost triple the major league average. That is just not good. So he might get sent back down, but Winder looks pretty good. We'll start with Winder here, Chris. 
Are you a believer in what we're seeing from Winder? Because the metrics look pretty solid so far. Yeah, I really liked you know his progression last season, and he's been really good so far this year. Obviously, small sample, but you know, been impressed with what I've seen, and I think the success can continue. Probably not to this level. Obviously, he's got a a one six one ERA right now in twenty two innings. Obviously, only two starts, but the two starts have been good. I'm interested to see what kind of pitcher he is moving forward, but I do really like the stuff here. I think that the slider's a really good pitch. He mixes in that four seam pretty well. It has good velo on it, and he's mixing the change in curve as well. So these are all things that you know, I like to see in the profile. He's got a, a good four-pitch mix that he's utilizing well, and you know, pretty solid command too, which is encouraging. The K rate's a little low, so – I'm just kind of interested in what kind of pitcher he can be moving forward. I don't know. The the profile to me, you know, just looking at like a statistical profile, not really looking at like stuff or anything like an Ian Anderson type where he's, you know, doesn't get a ton of strikeouts, but he's like going to get the job done pretty consistently. I know Anderson has some ups and downs, but Winder is definitely one that, I think is capable of being really solid moving forward. He obviously doesn't walk as many guys as Anderson either. So yeah, I'm adding him where I can. I think he, you should definitely add. I think he stands a good chance to stay in the rotation. Yeah, agreed. Speaking of, you know, young players moving into the rotation, I should say Spencer Strider certain, he hasn't moved into the rotation, obviously, but there's been some rumblings that that might happen. Chris, do you, as an Atlanta Braves fan, you know, this team very well. Do you see Strider in the rotation soon for Atlanta? Well, he should be. I mean, you're <laughs> you don't have a fifth starter right now, and it's pretty clear. So you're going. I mean, they threw a bullpen game as last outing where Jesse Chavez started, and you know we traded Sean Newcomb, who's the worst arm in the system for Jesse Chavez, who's now the worst arm in the system. So pretty lateral move. Yes, it was. <laughs> you know, just cut them. Just cut them both. Cut Newcomb and just move on. But anyway, I mean, he's building up innings. I I think he's more than capable. He went four against the Brewers the other night. He struck out eight, only four hits, no walks. That's been really encouraging to me. Strider's definitely got the stuff. I think he's more than capable of being a starter. We'll see. I mean, he's going three to four pretty consistently out of the bullpen, so let him go five. I think he definitely can do that. So, you know, I'm certainly on board with him at least getting a look as a starter he's a two-pitch guy so that's interesting but even with the two pitches he's made it work in those you know long relief outings so i don't see why he can't go a a fifth inning if he can go four as as good as he did yeah you might as well you said they're not really getting anything out of that number five spot right now so they don't even have a number five like you said so it's worth a shot and maybe he uses the change up a little bit more in the starting role Users at 3.2% this year. Maybe that ticks up to like, I don't know, even 7 to 8%, closer to 10. But yeah, the four-seamer has been very good. Slider has been excellent. 100 batting average against, 42.9% whiff rate. Has not given up an extra base hit off the slider yet, just one single. So yeah, I, I think I would love to see at least him get a shot because he's definitely pretty intriguing for sure. I wonder if the command and control is going to be there enough for him to stick as a starter long-term. We'll see. It's kind of like a wait-and-see mode with that, but... Definitely has the intrigue, that is for sure. Sticking in the National League East in some arms that definitely sh- probably should be in the rotation when you look at the back end of this team's rotation lately, that's Max Meyer and Edward Cabrera. There's a lot of rumblings with these guys as well that 
one or both could get a shot soon. So, Chris, who do you think that is, and do you think it comes soon? I wouldn't be surprised to see Cabrera get the first crack just because he's already been up before. So that would be the reason I think that he gets the first call. You know, I don't know. Really, his health's a big thing. Uh, he's obviously just coming back from a biceps injury up in AAA now as of this past week. So, you know, I could see him getting a crack, but Meyer's more than ready right now. So, you know, Cabrera's still trying to get some innings in after injury. And he's thrown eight innings all the, all year this year, which I think is, you know, pretty significant as well. Meanwhile, Max Meyer's just been absolutely tearing it up. We saw him pitch, I think, twice against Acuna, actually, and looked really good against that Gwinnett team. He's dominated in most every start this year. So I am oh, – Cabrera has the experience, at least on his side, where he's been called up for. He's pitched in a major league outing, while Myra obviously is the more polished of the two and the better pitcher, in my opinion, of the two. So, I mean, he made a triple-A last year. He dominated. He's dominated in 31.1 innings this year. I think he's ready. It's time to see what he's got in the majors. Yeah, I agree. I like both of these arms a, a good amount. I do, obviously, I like Meyer a bit more. I think he's, and people are asking me, how close is he to George Kirby? I like Kirby more. I think Kirby, you know, some maybe similar upside between the two. I think Kirby's a bit more polished, a higher floor than a Max Meyer, but. I would love to see both of them get a start. I say Myers looked pretty damn good this year. Cabrera has looked solid as well. Um, you look at the back end of what they got there in Miami right now. Like they're currently rolling out Eliezer Hernandez, who has not looked good so far, and Rodgers has looked absolutely terrible. I don't think Rodgers is going to be bumped out of the rotation, but maybe you get one of those kind of phantom IL stints from Rodgers. You know, maybe shoulder soreness, you know, the generic term that they use there. So maybe you see that happen. Maybe Hernandez gets bumped out, but definitely is trending towards one of these two guys potentially getting the call pretty soon. So decent, decent stash here. I, I do agree. It's probably Cabrera first, but both, if you get the benched up, they're worth a stash because their upside is pretty considerable on both these guys just with the, uh, the strikeouts they can rack up. So worth a stash in uh, redraft leagues, moving over to out of the news and notes, both of us have in one way or another, you know, me on uh, fan tracks earlier in the year, one of my prospect reports, Chris did the same kind of similar thing over on his prospect report for fantasy pros this past week, looking at who is the number one prospect going to be for fantasy purposes when J rod and Witt graduate, which should be within the next what two, three, probably sometime third week of may. They're both right around like a hundred at bats right now. So next, yeah, 10 days, 15 days, whatever they will both graduate. So you won't see them up you know, off of our list quite yet on this next update, but the update in early June, they will be, so who is the, the new number one? There, I think there's there's six guys. I think you can make a at least somewhat of a case for Corbin Carroll, Anthony Volpe, Riley Green, Adley Rushman, Noelvi Marte, and Robert Hassel the third. I tweeted if you were paying attention to my Twitter. I tweeted earlier today on Sunday that Corbin Carroll, barring some massive like he gets hurt or someone you know catches fire like a Volpe, Carroll is going to be my number one. He had two more home runs today. He And when I tweeted about this, he already had seven home runs and eight steals with a great slash line, great approach. And then he hit two more home runs today on Sunday. So now he's up to nine home runs, eight steals. You know, he's double plus hit, double plus speed. He's up to above average power, maybe even plus raw power. Maybe not plus. Okay, that's a little much. But above average power, he could be the next Trey Turner. He really could. So 
Carroll is, is my new number one. I, I, can, I can see an argument for some of these other guys, but Marte has been good, but not great. Hassel's been really good, but the upside's higher for Carroll, in my opinion. Volpe's coming on, but you know he's been not as good as Carroll this year. Green's hurt, so I'm not putting him there. Adley, you know, he's a catcher. So for me, it's Corbin Carroll, and I get a feeling my esteemed co-host will agree with that. Yeah, I think Carroll's arguably the best prospect in the game right now, the best player in the minor leagues. I think Riley Green probably deserves a fair crack because Green came into the season as my highest ranked of those ones that we're mentioning, at least right here. And obviously haven't played because of injury, which is, you know, sucks. He, he would be on track to graduate. I think he was going to make the opening day roster. So I think Green deserves a fair crack at it. Corbin Carroll has been the best player in the minors from a fantasy perspective too, in my opinion. And Rutschman obviously is just so stinking good. And he plays a position that's pretty scarce for fantasy. So I think those three probably are the ones that are going to be my top three. I think Carroll's is the best, so he probably deserves that right now. I do have him above Green at the moment. I think that that's obviously factored in. If Green was playing, then that could be totally different. But you know, Rutschman obviously missing time as well. Being a catcher, eh, but he's that good of a catcher. So those will be my top three, and I think Carroll probably makes it one. I think Hassel's right in behind him at number four. Yeah, Hassel's already top five for me, spoiler alert, and I think he could be number three. I think my order will be Carroll, Volpe, Hassel, Riley Green as my new top four with Marte five, or I might flip him. I don't know. He, right now, I think he'll be five. The The higher K rate that we saw from Green is still slightly concerning. It kind of sticks to the back of my mind. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue long term. I think he's still a very good hitter, obviously. I don't think it's going to be a huge detriment to his value, but... That kind of does stick there where I look at comparing the two, and obviously green is closer proximity-wise, but I think there's a better hit tool with Corbin Carroll. I think there's a better, a lot more speed to be had with Corbin Carroll. And I think with the power gains he's made, I don't think there's a big, I still give the power gap or the advantage to Riley Green, but I don't think it's a big gap anymore. So with his injury, Carroll's up the double A. He could be up the triple A by midseason. So I don't think Green's going to beat him there by more than you know half a season or so. So that all that kind of factors in. Like I think that added speed, the hit tool. I think he could hit 20, 30 points higher on average, to another 15 to 20 steals, close to the same power. That's kind of what was my reasoning behind Carroll number one. Like I said, he could be Trey Turner. Like he literally has that type of upside where he could be. 25 home runs, 30-plus deals, high average, high OBP, scoring a ton of runs, hitting at the top of the order. So yeah, Carroll is incredibly exciting, and that he's doing this all as a 20-year-old in AA, one of the younger guys at that level. That is also – it's like he's down in single A right now, low A. He's at double A doing all this. So, like, the speed is legit. There's no none of those rules that they have down in, in low A and high A that inflate steals. This is straight-up talent and just polished. He's a very polished guy as well. So, yeah, all the things you could like. There's no, I can't find a real hole in Colton Carroll's game. Like, it's, I try to poke holes in everything, but throw some cold water on it, so to speak. But it's really hard to do that with Corbin Carroll's game. That's for sure. All right. Let's go ahead and hit a quick break. We'll come back on the other side and talk a lot of prospect promotions, get our prospects of the week, and finish off with a deep league prospect target. So, don't go anywhere. Else. We get a ton for you. We'll be right back.
MEAC fans. It's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion? All right, welcome back from the break. We've had a lot of exciting prospect promotions. We already had talked about a few last week. We had what, Juan Yapez, MJ Melendez. Chris, who was the third one we talked last week? Juan Yapez, MJ Melendez, and... Wasn't there a third? I feel like it. Oh, Jose Miranda. There <laughs> That's it is. That's right, Miranda. All right. <laughs> Brain cramp there. This week we have, actually, I think three more exciting names than the three we talked about last week. We have Royce Lewis was called up. We have George Kirby made his start today. We'll get into that because it was absolutely sexy. Alec Thomas has gotten called up as well by Arizona. And Bryson Stott was also recalled as D.D. Gregorius went on the IL. And we also had a notable demotion with Matt Brash going to AAA and moving over to the bullpen or the arm barn, if you want to call it that. So a lot of big names moving up and down this week. Let's start with Royce Lewis. You know, originally it was... There was reports that Correa had a broken finger or a fractured finger, I forget how they worded it. But now it's just a bruise. He's not going to be out as long as initially expected. But Royce Lewis still got the call, and he deserved it with how he was performing at AAA this year. He really was getting back to the Lewis that we all saw pre-2019, where he had a really down season. And he's actually improved in a lot of areas from that as well. He's actually gotten better as a pure hitter this year. In 107 plate appearances in AAA, slashing 310, 430, 563, 11 doubles, three home runs, eight steals, only caught once, and 17 walks to 20 Ks. So that walk rate was up a solid amount from 2019. K rates dropped. He toned down the swing a little bit from the looks of it, hitting for power again. You know, three home runs isn't a ton, but you know, he's a 15 to 20 homer guy, I think, with 20 plus deals. But Really getting back, like I said, the, the Lewis that we fell in love with as a top prospect and as a number one overall pick back in 2017, and he's improved overall. So kind of putting that 2018 in the rear view. So I'm incredibly encouraged. I don't know how long he's up. Is if Correa is when he's back and in the lineup, I don't know where they put Lewis. It helps that he can play second, third, outfield. He's played all th- three of those as well. Even last year, he played all three of those in, in the Arizona Fall League. It should be 2019, I should say. So he has experience at the positions, but I don't know where he fits in. But long term, I think he's back to being a top 30 prospect. Oh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I'm not sure I'm going out to spend a lot of fab on him Yeah, right now. I, I just don't know if it sticks. Like, that's my biggest question is, like, will he stick? If Correa is not out long, I'm just afraid that he doesn't have a spot which good hitters always find their way in, which is, you know, I think a a real thing. Like if he's going to hit, he's going to find a spot, but who even knows, man? That's my concern is that if you go out and blow a ton of fab, like he's just not going to get the reps that you want from him. Correa may come back sooner than expected. And that just bumps Royce out. So I don't know. I I do like Royce long-term. I'm really pleased with what he's done. So for dynasty leagues, like all the way back in on him, man, I think he could, yeah, push his way to top 10 prospect status soon. Yeah, I definitely think he's yeah, he's going to be top 30 for me in this update tomorrow. And yeah, he's definitely on the rise. If 
if people are kind of still looking at, at that 2019 season and how kind of lackluster it was, use that to your advantage. Go out and if you can still get him for a discount compared to where his value was a couple of years ago, highly recommend doing that. He's, he's not going to be a guy that's going to be a stud, but potential borderline top 10, top 12 fantasy shortstop. Like I said, he got 15 to 20 home runs, 20 plus steals, solid average, solid OBP. So one of those guys that could still fly under the radar because they don't have that one wow tool, but yeah, he's back to being an, an easy top 30 prospect. And yeah, like you mentioned, potentially higher if he continues the success. He's with the early season start in AAA, whether he's, you know, whether he sticks at major level or not, we'll see, but definitely very encouraged with how Lewis has turned it around this season. That's for sure. But the more exciting call up today, oh, Sunday, yesterday, when you listen to this, George Kirby looked absolutely dominant against the Tampa Bay Rays. A top 10 offense, I should I should mention, with Tampa Bay right now. In six innings, shutout. Six shutout innings, I should say. Four hits, zero walks, seven Ks, 37% whiff rate, 36% CSW. The heater was averaging 95.8. And slider, changeup, curveball, sinker, mixed those in as well. He looked absolutely stellar this outing. Some people were saying, oh, he's not ready because he was he was rushed from double A. No. He wasn't double A to triple A hitting. It's not a big gap in terms of that quality. And with these types of advanced and polished collegiate arms that have shown both elite stuff and elite command and control, you don't need a ton. You don't, you don't necessarily need that triple A seasoning. So he's not being rushed whatsoever, in my opinion. And I think he's here to stay. I think he could be a top 50 arm easily rest of the season, maybe even higher than that. And long term, we're looking at a potential fantasy ace. I think he's at that type of upside for sure. Yeah, when you pair the command and control that he has with the stuff that he has, I mean, the velo today he averaged ninety-five-eight on the fastball and eighty-nine on the slider, which really good. Interesting. He he only threw really. I mean, he threw the forcing fifty-nine percent of the time, which I thought was interesting. Slider twenty-five percent, change up ten percent, curve five percent. He threw just one sinker. Some of the four seams, though, I'm curious. Like if Stefan goes back and reclassifies them, they were. Interesting having some arm side run to them. I'm wondering if they were sinkers. So I'll be curious because I, I, I think they're going to go back and reclassify. I'll say that. But yeah, overall, highly impressive. 36% CSW, 46% CSW on the fastball is just insane how many whiffs he was getting on it. He locates it so well. That's the thing. He just locates it extremely well. And that's what he's always done. So he's going to be able to get away with you know, his some of the misses too because he doesn't miss that often for one. When he does, like, his pinpoint location is so good. Like, his misses aren't bad at all. So he has all the stuff. I think you're right. I I think he's more than capable of sticking. This was obviously a huge encouragement today, what we saw, and I could see that trend continuing with him. Yeah, I can as well. And for everybody that's kind of fallen in love with what we've seen out of Logan Gilbert this year, let me just tell you this. George Kirby's better. He's a, I won't say a lot better because Gilbert's been pretty damn good this year, but I think you look down the, you fast forward five years. I would, if you had to fight about a hundred bucks, my own money and who's being drafted first out of George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, I'll easily put that on, on George Kirby. I think he has a higher floor than Gilbert. I think he's just as polished or even more polished than Gilbert, which might sound crazy because Gilbert's already had a lot of major experience. That's how polished George Kirby is. He's got more strikeout upside, that is for sure. Gilbert, I think, will be like a 25, 27% K rate guy. Kirby could be 30 plus with the same elite command and control. 
double plus fastball trio of secondaries that all could be above average to plus. It's just, again, you can't really poke a hole or find any big red flags here. This Kirby is just one of the most polished arms that we've seen in the last few years. So fantasy ace up. So at worst, he's a number three. I, 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 can't, I honestly cannot see a future where he's like not at least number three starter. That's how, yeah. that's how high the floor is. The floor, Yeah, that's exactly right. The floor is incredibly high. And I think that's really the biggest thing is that he's got the high floor. He's got a nice security blanket under him because he can fall back on that command control. Yeah. I mean, think about when Bieber came up, like Bieber's command and control was the name of the game. And I would say that Kirby's command controls every bit as good and he's got better stuff and velo. So think yep. about <laughs> how high Bieber got and like Bieber was dynasty SP one at some point for a lot of people. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to go ahead and throw that on Kirby, but I'm saying Kirby's capable. He's that good. Kirby is capable of winning Cy Young awards. Yeah. Notice I, I used awards plural there. Like he's that good. That rotation is going to be really damn good for a long time. I think long-term Kirby's there are going to be their ace. Gilbert will be there. Very good. Number two. They have all these other guys coming up as well. Hancock, I think it's still be decent enough. Number three, number four type of guy, but yeah, Kirby is good. You know, he, depending on like if you're at NFBC leagues, he won't be in this week's fab. Well, okay. When you're listening to this, it was yesterday, but he'll be in this upcoming with Sunday's fab. And so I would, spend i'd be willing to go open the wallet for him i think he's gonna be very very good this year and even better long term so go out and get george kirby sticking with seattle though matt brash got demoted i got one of the couple days before kirby got called up and they're moving him to the bullpen you know everyone kind of fell in love with matt brash because you know you see all the the gift pitching ninja gifts and the stuff is just like wiffle ball stuff it's no denying that matt brash is nasty nobody that has two eyes and knows a single shred about baseball can deny that Matt Brash is nasty. But the command and control has always kind of been an issue, which led to some bullpen risk being thrown on, you know, on his name coming up through the minor leagues. He could be a high K mid rotation guy. That's definitely possible, but they're moving him to the bullpen. Now that's not necessarily a permanent movement, but I got to wonder, like he still can't command his arsenal that well, especially the fastball. He's not throwing this like when you and you, when you can't land your secondaries for strikes at least every now and then. Do we still like have hitters respected a bit more? They could like oh, slider. I can lay off. So I go outside the zone. You can't land it, which he has not shown that he really can consistently or at least somewhat. They're gonna just good hitters are gonna realize that, pick up the spin and pass on it. So I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of. I don't know where I want to value Brash right now. I, I want to still be in on him. I'm not out. I'm not saying I'm out, but I don't know. I'm in a weird place with Brash right now. Where, where are you at with him? Yeah, it was a, a lot of highs coming in. Like I really like the stuff, but you know, stuff gets you somewhere, but stuff can't really carry you a long way. You know, when you can't control your pitches. And I think that's really the biggest thing with Brash is just, you know, better location for one, not walking as many guys. That's obviously a big thing with him is just being able to limit his walks. I mean, he can strike out plenty. There's there's no denying that because, you know, the stuff is that good. The slider's downright nasty. It seems interesting to me that they are just sending him straight to the bullpen. I don't understand that. If, if you really believe in Brash as a starter, then I have a hard time believing you're just sending him down, putting him in the pen. It – it's interesting. Like, was this just the trial run to see? Like, and it's it's way, way, way too early to 
try to say he can't be a starter, in my opinion. Agreed, yeah. But the move to send him the pin at AAA is, is bizarre, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. Well, I, I, on one hand, I can see it, you know, but he's there saying you know, they, they're planning on contending this year. So bringing him back up, you know, midseason, whatever it is, having out of the pen, an already pretty damn good pen, mind you. It's adding another arm like Brash. Maybe that's just a short-term thing, and maybe they still see him as a starter. But who knows? We've seen we've seen a similar type of situation before, where a good pitcher with but who's flawed with command issues gets moved to the pen for short term, looks so good in the pen that they keep him in the pen. I don't know. I I think right now it's honestly I hate to use this as an easy fallback, but I think it's fifty fifty pen or rotation arm long term. So I think he's gonna he's gonna have value some way. I just can't say with any level of confidence that, you know, which way it's going to be. Is he going to be a starter or reliever? I don't know. It's a 50-50 flip a coin at this point, but I think he could be a really, I think he could be a damn good closer. The, the fastball slider mix out of the pen, that could be really valuable. But for now, there's no really no short-term value except moving him to the pen. So you could take him off the 2022 radar, but maybe he's a, if someone's really concerned with how he looked this year, in, uh, with Seattle, maybe you can buy low on him. So I think there's, a, like I said, there's a chance for a good chance of him having good value somehow, some way. But yeah, you can pretty much scratch him off your radar for 2022. Last two names here, both on the hitting side of things. Alec Thomas got called up, and Bryson Stott is back. Let's start with Alec Thomas. You know, I've I've loved Alec Thomas ever since the what year did he get drafted? 2018, yeah, 2018 draft. You know, when he was a second round pick by Arizona. And he's kind of produced as expected. The power has come along pretty nicely. So, you know, higher ground ball rate, which is kind of limiting his raw power. But he's one of those guys like a Stott that isn't flashy. There's not like that one plus wow tool, not huge power, huge speed, but just does everything across the board pretty well. Like I said, he's pretty much almost outfield Stott at this point. So moving forward, Chris, in redraft, would you want to take, you know, add either let's say this is like your 12 teamers i think most of our audience that listens to this podcast probably plays in 12 teamers that's kind of like the standard for our our audience i feel so would you pick up either in 12 teamers right now i don't know i'm willing to take a shot and see where thomas goes at least i think stock could be short term but i have a hard time believing that thomas is called up to not play right so if he's getting the reps like I'll take a chance and see where it goes because I think that he's also got a pretty high floor as well. Like he's hit the ball really hard in AAA, hit the ball on the ground a good bit, but you know he's he's one who I could see you know, coming up and, and hitting the ground running. He's a good contact hitter, so I'm I'm kind of on board to take a chance with Thomas and then see where it takes me more so than Stott. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in that same line of thinking as well. It looks like. He's going to start in center field, and Varsha will move to catcher while Carson Kelly's on the IL, which could be for you know several weeks as he has a strained oblique, and we all know how those can be slow to heal. So it looks like Thomas should, at least should get a chance to start regularly. You know, Arizona kind of needs that spark. They have, outside of really outside of Dalton Varsha, the rest of the lineup's been pretty lackluster. Kettle Marte's been down this year. Seth Beer doesn't have a hit in the last two weeks, which is ridiculous. Seth Beer hasn't had a hit since April 22nd, which is, wow. I knew he was slumping, but I looked at his game log. I'm like, wow, no hits since the 22nd of April. Wow. Yeah, so that lineup needs a spark. 
And like Thomas is not the savior, but he definitely could provide a spark over who the outs they were going to start in that outfield. Like what Cooper Hummel, Jordan Luplo, like we know what those guys are. Thomas has definitely has a higher upside. And yeah, I'm actually I'm gonna take a, a shot on both. Like once Stock got sent back down AAA, he was producing pretty well. He nine games, 333, 375, 611 slash, five X-rays hits, two home runs, two steals. So he looked pretty good down there. So we'll see if he if he hits well, he could stick, but I think there's a, a better chance that Thomas sticks and has, as I said, there's no really other players they can put in there. They always could put Didi back in and, and Philly when he's back. And if Stott is still kind of slumping at this level, but Thomas, I'm very intrigued by, like I said, he could be a 20 Homer 20. He could be a guy that flirts 20, 20 annually with a solid average and a good OBP hitting near the top of the order. He's got great on base skills, keeps the K rate down said does a lot of things well. So I'm definitely intrigued by Alec Thomas. I think he could be a you know borderline top 20 outfielder long-term. We'll see. But like I said, not the high upside, but pretty solid floor there with Alec Thomas. So that wraps up all the – there's a lot of prospect promotions this week, but that wraps up this segment. Let's go over to the hitters of the week here, uh, or prospects of the week, I should say, starting with hitters. We have Alexander Canario of the Cubs, Edwin Arroyo of the Seattle Mariners, Jonathan Aranda and Curtis Mead of Tampa Bay, J.J. Pelade, Miami, and Michael Harris of Atlanta. Let's start there, Chris. You, you know, I think someone, I forget where, if someone asked us a question about Michael Harris or what it was, but I was kind of saying that, or I think maybe I saw you, you tweeting, actually, that you think Harris could be working his way into top 10 fantasy prospect consideration pretty damn soon. Why is that for you? Well, the power's coming along, and, you know, we've seen the contact skills Last year, he's got the speed on the base paths as well. So when we really see the power coming, I think that's pretty significant. I mean, he's 21 years old in double A right now, and he just turned 21 as well. So he's pretty young. I think that we're looking at a really well-rounded profile here that I think is honestly not far off from Alec Thomas. So, yeah, which is Harris doesn't get the love and, I think that Harris could potentially pass Thomas from the standpoint of he just lifts the ball a little more, and he's been doing that this year. He's going to hit for average. We've we've seen that consistently now. And if he really gets this home run power, I think that's really huge for success. I mean, last year in high A, he hit just seven home runs in 420 plate appearances. This year, he's got four in just 118, which is a huge encouragement to me to see. As I mentioned, the stolen bases have still been good. He hasn't sacrificed contact at all. He's still making contact a solid clip here with with the power coming, which I think is pretty big. I mean, his K rate is just 22%, which is actually one of the higher of his career, but that's not high at all, actually. So, you know, I really like what I've seen out of Harris. I think that he's just kind of a stud in the making here, but he's going to continue to fly under the radar. Yeah, you know, he, he totally is. And the power is what I really questioned last year. Like, all right, you know, the, the hit tool and speed are solid, you know, above average at least for both. But where's that power at? Is he, a, you know, 8 to 10 homer guy or is he more like 15 to 18? And I think he's shown that he might be closer to that ladder and get up to, you know, at least mid, mid-teens home runs to go along with a good average, 20-plus deals. And yeah, doing so, you know, as a 21, like you mentioned, just turned 21 in double-A, very encouraging to see, and he's been especially hot over the last 10 days here, and he added two more hits today, but coming into today, last 10 days, 47 plate appearances, 
was slashing 318, 362, 636 with a 318 ISO, five doubles, three home runs, and four steals. Like I said, added another two hits and a double today. So absolutely been raking, that is for sure. So I, I don't quite have him quite as high as you, but he's definitely top 40 for me. He'll probably be right around top 30, you know, late 20s. He'll probably be pretty close to where Royce Lewis is. I think they could be pretty similar profiles long-term, actually very similar. Now that I, I feel like I was just talking about Royce Lewis again with how I was mentioning the tools. So I think they could be both very close long-term. And yeah, Harris definitely, I was, I was, I bumped him down too far, fully admit that. And I am correcting that in this next update, which you will all see tomorrow. Um, but Harris is not the only one that's really hot this week. Alexander Canario from the Cubs has been actually tearing the cover off the ball. One of the best power hitters in the you know, minor leagues over the last few weeks. 38 player appearances, hitting 382, 447, 765. Four home runs with a double and a steal as well. And only a what was that, 21% strikeout rate, which is very encouraging after he had a little bit of a higher K rate in the past. So, Nice to see him get that K rate back down again to a pretty respectable level. Not walking a ton. He's always been a more of an aggressive guy, but definitely encouraging to see the power and the average go up this year as well. So where are you on a Canario? You think he's a top 100 guy? I think he's pretty close to that. Yeah, I think that's a fair fair spot to put him. I really do think that he he's pushing that, and he has a chance to move up. You know, always really liked him in the Giants system. And so now – I don't know. I'm a fan of really what he's done, and I think that he could just take a step forward now. And that Cub system's got so much fun stuff going on in it, and so he's he's gonna probably get like caught up in all these names, and he's not gonna get the love that he deserves. But I definitely think he's in the mix. Like this this returns looking really good, where they got him and Caleb Killian for you know what a couple months of Chris Bryant, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, great return. Yeah. Yep. It's uh the Cubs did a great job at the deadline last year, actually, even though it was painful, I know for Cubs fans, but <laughs> you're gonna be very happy long term. I think so too. Better return than the uh, Ben Intendi return that we were talking about before mm-hmm. the we came on the air. Uh, we got rid of Ben Intendi and all we got back was pretty much just Franchi Cordero. So yeah, that's working out great for us. How's that working out? <laughs> He's uh Benny's looking great, or at least good in Kansas City, and Franchi is quad A at best, but not to get off on that tangent, it was like I could go for another 20 minutes on that. But moving on here, a couple of Tampa Bay guys we mentioned. Curtis Mead, who's in double-A, 21-year-old, and Jonathan Aranda, 23 years old, in triple-A. Both kind of on fire lately. Miranda, uh, excuse me, Aranda, I'm so used to talking Jose Miranda here. Jonathan Aranda, 39 player appearances over the last 10 days. 474, 487, so owning the one walk. 842. With three doubles, one triple, and three home runs, and a steal. And then Curtis Mead, as I mentioned, who was down in double A, 400, 500, 657 over the last 10 days, three doubles, two home runs, as many walks as strikeouts, six of each, and a steal as well. Long term, I think you could, you could say that these two are pretty close. Who would you rather have long term in Dynasty Chris, Curtis Mead or Jonathan Aranda? I still like Mead a little better, but I do like both a lot. Getting to see Mead play in the AFL, like he's just, a, a gamer you know he's consistent he puts a lot of contact on the ball i think he's got you know better power than most give him credit for so i'm willing to lean mead here but i do really like aranda as well biggest concern is just like you know it's the rays like where do these guys fit in and that's <laughs> it's a question i mean like i don't really know honestly like long term like what do they do with these guys but i do think Mead's pretty advanced for his age 
I think what he did last year, and I think honestly him playing professionally in Australia during the COVID year was, was big for him as well. And he's even talked a little bit about that, but yeah, the contact skills are, are, are better in my opinion. So I, I lean that way. I would as well, but yeah, this is a very valid question of where do these guys fit in? Because there's no like obvious openings. Maybe you could say first base, but G man's actually been pretty good this year. So I don't know. Maybe maybe they get traded. I, I got a feeling at least one of these two gets traded. We'll see. But yeah, it's not like there's a clear path for either of them right now. But yeah, I think both are you know right around top 100 guys back end or maybe just out of it right in that 100 give or take range. Definitely like both. Not, not the highest ceilings, that's for sure. But just very good hitters that can do a little bit of everything. So those guys definitely have value in fantasy. That's for sure. Edwin Arroyo, though, a little bit younger guy, 18 years old, was just drafted in the 2021 draft out of Puerto Rico, his second-round pick by the Seattle Mariners, and he's off to an absolutely phenomenal start. Last year, you know, didn't hit that well when he hit 211, but had two home runs and four steals in 86 plate appearances this year in 108 plate appearances, four doubles, three triples, four home runs, six steals, and a 294, 389, 533 slash line in low A Modesto in the California League. How high do you think Arroyo can climb? Obviously, there's a nice little power-speed blend there. You know, he's already shown some pretty solid strides as a hitter, You know, improving the walker rate, dropping the K rate. Where do you think he can land? You know, by the end of the year, where do you think you, you will see Arroyo in prospect rankings? Near top 100, if not within it. I mean, he was a good pick. He was a, a better fantasy pick, I think, than most people realize. You know, picking He got picked at 48th in the draft last year. He really has a ton of unlocked potential. And I think that the Mariners saw that and we're seeing some of it come to fruition this year. And, you know, you love to see the power progression. He's obviously quick steals bags. He hits for good average. The contact skills have improved significantly. And it is worth noting, he was just 17 last year when he got drafted. So 18 now, but you look at the contact rate come up a lot this year and you see the, the strikeout rate drop. Also walking at a high clip, which is encouraging for a young hitter, so I think Arroyo can push top 100. Yeah, no, that's kind of where I am as well. So definitely a name to get now before everyone realizes how good he really is. So moving over to the pitching side of things, though, we got four names on the list this week. And we won't go super in-depth on these guys. We've already talked about these guys this year. But Brayon Bayo had a no-hitter. Got to put him on the list. Kyle Harrison is just striking everybody out right now. Yuri Perez has really right of the ship after a slower start in double A. He's been dominant over the last few outings and as has Gavin Williams here out of the, you know, let's go out of, I think Harrison Perez and Williams are all fairly close in terms of rankings. Who do you think is the better pro the highest ranked prospect at years and out of these three between Harrison, Yuri Perez and Gavin Williams? I mean, why not Bayo? <laughs> Honestly? Yeah. I, I think he, I think he is a touch behind these guys, but not, not, that far off like Bayo is plus fastball plus change up above average slider uh, yeah he I'm probably still selling him a little short but I, I do think the upside is slightly lower than these three but if you want to throw him in there be my guest I, I think he's going to be around 75 overall for me in my prospect rankings Bayo I really is? yeah I really think he's legit you know we saw him dominate in Greenville last year and then once he got the bump to Portland he did struggle a little bit but he's come back down you know, this year and just in Portland, just dominating. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a touch high. I, I really do like everything I've seen with him. But yeah, maybe, maybe it's a little quick to 
push him into that range. With that being said, I think probably Kyle Harrison's got that edge. Harrison has always been a guy that I've really loved. And then this year, we've really seen the progression, seen his walk rate come down, which has been a huge factor. And another player who I just think is just completely knocking the love that he deserves. You know, he's he's one that I think could easily push top 50 overall soon. And you know, not to say Yuri isn't, but I feel a little more confident in Kyle Harrison right now. Yeah, I'm sure if we put out a poll, I think Yuri Perez would win this by a landslide Probably. just because of the common conception around him. But, yeah, I, it's so close between Perez, uh, Williams, and uh, Harrison for me. I think Williams is going to be really damn good. Like Him and Espino as your top two pitching prospects is about as good as you can hope for. If I had to – I will slightly lean Yuri, but – I think all three are going to be top 50 by season's end. And I, you know, were you you saying top 75 for Bayo? I don't think that's too outlandish. And I think, you know, when he got the double A last year, he's never really pitched in a cold weather environment. So I kind of attribute a little bit of just him getting adjusted to the cold, but it's Maine. And yet when he got up here, it was summertime, but still, you know, it's not, it's not as warm as it was down, you know, in Greenville and whatnot. So Maybe there's, and that's you know obviously a big jump going from high A to double A. That might be the most you know difficult jump in terms of level to level in the minor leagues. So I, I used to equate it to an adjustment period. And yeah, he's looked absolutely dominant this year. Command and control can be a bit spotty at times, not terrible, but a bit spotty. But yeah, he's very legit, and I think he's definitely he's right now. I think I have him in my top 100, and so he's not far off. Definitely. I think he's a guy that you can get the cheapest, though, right now in Dynasty Leagues. The, the value, the perceived value of these four, I think he's his value is still, I would say, low, but not as high as it should be. So if you're going to go out and get one of these guys, all four are definitely recommended targets in Dynasty Leagues, that's for sure. But I, maybe Bayo is the, the best target in terms of value to price tag right now. So, but yeah, all four are definitely very exciting arms. And you, you'll probably see their names pop up more than once on this uh, Prospects of the Week section, that's for sure. All right, let's round up the show here with our Deep League Target of the Week. Chris, who you got? All right, so this uh, player was actually brought on to me by our buddy Mags. He, was, he mentioned him to me, and so I began to check him out a little bit, found some game film on him and it's uh Wyatt Young with the Mets and this is probably a really deep name to add I mean he's you know not going to be rostered hardly anywhere I'm actually going to look right now and see what percentage of fan tracks leagues he's rostered in because I would guess it's not many at all but let's I'll see say here. I'll say two percent yeah I was going to say one <laughs> he's rostered in zero percent of leagues which you know he's he's rostered obviously some places, but he's uh, plus point one percent, so he's he's rostered somewhere. He hadn't even hit at one percent yet. So anyway, I think this is a good deep league target. He's re- been really good this year. Not a ton of power. That's okay. I don't think he's going to provide that. But you know we see him last year in rookie ball, and he's made a jump this year um, to Triple A, which is a, a pretty big jump. He's 22 years old, smaller at 5'7", 160. Not sure if that's completely accurate, but you know we know those things change. He's a college guy out of Pepperdine. This year he's hitting 329. He's a 436 OBP and a 836 OPS. 
one home run, as I mentioned, not a ton of power, but two steals, just putting a ton of balls in play. And I think that'll play. The Mets obviously are pretty stacked. So, you know, it's interesting to see him in AAA. Like he's not going to crack that, that team anytime soon. But I do think that Young potentially could catch on and really be a more known prospect with time if he keeps hitting like this. The hit tool just seems to be really good. The contact skills are good as well. So he's a lefty at the plate. I really like what I've seen with Wyatt Young. So this is like the deepest of deepest leagues, but I do like Young a good bit. All right. Good name there. Yeah, super deep leagues. That's a good target for you before he – I want to see if – let's look like in a few days, see like what that – the uh, <laughs> the, the plus whatever percent. See right. Bumps up a little bit. Maybe that's the goal. Let's get him to 1% rostered by, you know, middle of the week just because of the show. We'll see. All right. My name here, going to the Colorado system. I know I, I know everyone's probably like, oh, Colorado. But a lot of their prospects, we talked about a few of these prospects already. A lot of their prospects are off to really hot starts this year, especially, you know, Adele Amador and Ezekiel Tovar, who we talked recently. But another one who's warming up, haha, <laughs> dad joke, is warming Bernabelle. I couldn't resist. It's it's a it's a it's a was good. You know, it's a tee ball. It was on a tee for me. I just I had to swing. But yeah, warming Bernabel down in low A has been very productive this year, and even last year. You look at you know, he, he debuted in 20, 2019, Was down in, in rookie ball, and you know he did okay. Four home runs, three steals, and fifty five games. But last year between rookie ball, he came stateside rookie ball in low A. 312, 367, 516 with seven home runs and nine steals in forty three games. This year, he's back in the low A California League, 23 games, 102 plate appearances, 326, 402, 558, eight doubles, four home runs, and six steals. He's always, you know, when he when he was signed back in, in 2018, people, you know, a lot of the prospect evaluators you know, said that, yeah, this is a, a pretty good bat, some upside in both the hit tool and average uh, hit tool and power departments. But where is he at with the plate approach? He's listed those, you know, you said the word aggressive, used in a lot of uh, reports on him, but he's really shown more patience than I think anyone expected. Walk rate is just a tick below 10% right now. K rate is a tick below 15%. So he's, and he didn't strike out much last year at all, 26 Ks in 43 games. So I think he's shown a better approach than anyone expected him to which is very encouraging. Still only uh, 20 years old. He just turned 20. Actually, no, he's not even 20 yet. Excuse me. He'll be 20 in a few weeks, uh, June 6th. So uh, very encouraging from, from a young player, 19 years old in low A. I think there's a p- potential for above average hit, above average power, and I think maybe borderline average speed. You know, he's shown, like I say, he's got 15 steals in his last 66 games, but that's down in, in low A. So again, take that with a grain of salt, but maybe he's like an 8 to 10 steal guy. With you know 260, 270 average, twenty to twenty five home runs. I think the power there's more potential in the power department as he adds the weight here. Still kind of a slight frame, definitely some projection left on that frame. But and he'll get probably get Coors Field. We'll see. But third base is one of the spots where I think he, he could you know that's where he's been playing mostly. Uh, so I think he's a little bit of second base as well. A couple of games at, the, at second base, but he's play, played third base primarily. So still a few years away, obviously, down in low A, only 19 years old. But definitely a name that's shooting at prospect rankings right now. He'll probably be eh, top 250 or so for me with the potential to be top 150 by end of season and maybe even top 100 eventually. I think he's got that, that type of upside. So 
warming Bernabelle is my deep league or deeper prospect target of the week. But that is going to wrap us up. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in again this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at EricRoss04, Chris is at RotoClegg, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. And check out all of our written work at Fantrax HQ, Fantasy Pros, or over on our Patreon. And join us again next time for more fantasy baseball talk. But until then, everyone take care. fans. It's time to step into a championship. The 2023 MEAC Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament tips off March 8th through the 11th at the Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. Join all the Me action with competitive basketball games, fun theme nights, and fan fests, official after parties, and comedy shows. Tickets are on sale via Ticketmaster, and you can log on to MEACHoops.com for more info. The 2023 MEAC Basketball Tournament. Who will be crowned champion?